Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, LeaderNetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Paul J. Meyer. Paul is a successful businessman, a philanthropist, and the author of numerous instructional and motivational materials. In business, Paul is a self-made success. He made a name for himself first in the insurance business, and then later he founded companies that helped people reach their full potential. His programs include offerings in leadership development, goal setting, attitude, and management training. Millions of people in more than 60 countries have used the materials. In philanthropy, the Paul and Jane Meyer Family Foundation has given away over $65 million to more than 30 charities. As an author, amazingly, Paul did not begin writing books until age 70, since he has authored many in the past decade. Some special offerings include his book, Forgiveness, The Ultimate Miracle, his booklet, My Work is My Ministry, and his CD titled, Developing a Servant's Heart. Paul is the husband of Jane, a father to five, and a grandfather to fifteen. In our conversation about his advice on life and leadership, I was impressed with Mr. Meyer's ability to tell entertaining stories that bring his lessons so clearly to life. Many of his stories center on the power of our attitude and the importance of serving others, and his life's example is truly an inspiration to anyone with a desire to succeed. As we begin the conversation, Paul discusses his favorite quotation and how he came to develop that quotation himself. And now, we begin this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Paul J. Meyer. Looking then first at your favorite quote, that quote is, whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. Could you talk a little bit about uh, the significance of that quote for you and your life? Well, I tried to condense it back in 1960 to have uh, not exactly a, a mission statement, but to condense the essence of what uh, attitude is and the business I wanted to be in and the, and the self-improvement business, the personal achievement industry. And uh, I, I condensed probably a page down to a half a page and a quarter page and finally down to that, whatever you vividly imagine, and you, and you have to be able to dream and imagine or you'll never achieve anything. And then ardently desire... Uh, you're never going to achieve anything if you don't desire it. And then sincerely believe that's having faith that you can do it. William James said at the turn of the century, the one thing that will guarantee the successful conclusion of, an, of a doubtful undertaking is faith in the beginning that you can do it. And then enthusiastically act upon. That means with a passion and focus and wholeheartedness must inevitably come to pass. And it will if you have to stick to it. 90% of all failure comes from quitting. So... I've kind of condensed uh, 
my whole philosophy about self-improvement down to one sentence. And you got to remember, when I started SMI, my business was condensing books from 60,000 words down to 6,000 words and putting them on 12-inch LP records back in the... I started doing that back in 1958, so it's 50 years ago. Wow. Another question I have is, when asked about some of the experiences that have been vital to your development, you you had identified four experiences, uh, the training you'd received from your parents, what you had learned when you were selling insurance, what you learned in developing Success Motivation Institute, and then what you'd learned in your other entrepreneurial pursuits. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of those lessons that you learned in those four areas of experience. I remember one time when I was a young boy, only about nine, my father told me to do something. He was from Germany, and I said, I'll try. Well, Brian, he reached over and grabbed my shirt. I thought he was going to tear it off of me, looked me in the eye, and he said, don't let me ever hear you say the word try again. That is not a Meyer trait. That's not a Meyer word, and that's not in the Meyer dictionary. And he, uh, and I didn't know exactly what he meant. He said, when you get an assignment to do it, uh, if you're alive, it gets done. Or don't accept it. But we want to be a family that when you give us something to do, you do not have to inspect what what you expect. You can consider it done. And then the second word was the word, uh, the first time I said I can't, he jumped me the same way. And he said, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. It's not in any Meyer dictionary. It never will be. Not in your whole lifetime. And so I just uh, do not, I don't understand what it means, I can't, because, uh, and then as a as a as a as a Christian I can do all things through Christ so but I can also do all things uh, because of my attitude and I have a, I have an I not will I have, from him I developed an I will not be denied attitude or I enter every day without giving mental recognition of the possibility of defeat uh, if I go in to make a sale if they said I sell they don't have the chance of a dying duck in a hailstorm uh, that's an attitude when I go in to call on somebody, I visualize a red carpet out in front of me, maybe two trumpeters on each side of the door, and the man behind the, the door at the desk has been waiting all of his life to do business with me. That's an attitude. Another another thing I got from my parents was uh, I never accepted excuses, and neither have I. I never, I never make an excuse, and I never accept one. The minute you kind of start a conversation with me and and you say, well, well, I got to remember, there's a tight economy now, and gas prices are up. Or you give me 15 to think of those, I I tune you out. I shut you off right then, and realize that you're living in a negative aura while you're giving me that information, instead of a positive aura, figuring out ways things can be done instead of ways they can't be done. And you're not looking to your strengths that you are given. You're looking to your weakness, and you're not concentrating on the solution. You're concentrating on the problem. So that's incredible. Uh, growing up. I just uh, wrote a book. It's not published yet. It's called A Fortune to Share is the title of the book. A Fortune to Share. It's not out yet. It'll be out in about a month. Okay. And the essence of that book is it's the attitude I got from my parents. And it's everything that I'm just talking to you about right now. And then uh, then what you asked me what I learned about from selling insurance. I learned to uh, stick with it. When I first started, I was making $87 a month and did for month after month. And finally, my father-in-law said, look, it's no disgrace if you can't do this. You need to, you know, you do know how to do carpentry work. You don't. You do know how to do plumbing work. And I said, well, I think you're assuming that I have failed. 
I said, I haven't failed. And I gave him the illustration even back then. I said, if there's uh, six numbers to open a vault, I said, I told his name was uh, Baby. I said, look, Baby, I've got four of the numbers. I only need two more numbers. I haven't failed. I'm learning something each time somebody says no. I just haven't got it all figured out yet. And we didn't have training programs back then. It had to all be done by trial and error. But I never doubted, not for a single second, that I wasn't going to make it. And then it flipped. The ninth month, I made $3,000. And by the way, in today's dollars, that would be over 30000 Wow. So I went from making, in essence, around $1,000 to making 30000 And, of course, in my lifetime, I've averaged about $8 million a year. And if you put that in today's dollars, it comes to over a billion. So, that, so I learned a long time ago, and I tell young people, uh, you're only three feet away from gold. You're only you're only a stone's throw just around the corner. Take one more step. Don't give up. Ninety percent of all failure comes from quitting. Never be a quitter. And same thing when I joined the scouts. When I joined the scouts, I knew I would not stop scouting until I was an Eagle Scout. And I knew when I was an Eagle Scout, I wouldn't stop scouting until I was a distinguished Eagle Scout or giving them 25 years of service. Then when I learned what I learned from developing SMI was across the board everything. Here I am in a brand new industry. I was the first person in the world to condemn stuff and put it on LP records. Well, before that, I even had it on reel-to-reel tape. Hmm. So I took it from the printed word stage that was from 1880 from uh, from from uh, uh, Samuel Smiles and. Uh, and Napoleon Hill and Arson Sweat Martin, and uh, took it one step further and condensed it and, and provided it on spaced repetition and, because 62% of the acceptance of all ideas come after the sixth time they're presented. Presented, 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 presented. Because we're not going to remember anything that we just hear one time. We're going to have to hear it repetitively uh, where it doesn't just get in our, in our, in our head. It has to get in our our heart and our soul and our emotion before we can go out and take action on it. And then what I learned from my entrepreneurial pursuits was, you know, I started over 150 companies since I was 20 years old. Uh, 70% of them didn't work. And I learned uh, all kinds of lessons. I learned about law. I learned about uh, accounting. I learned about business. I learned about architecture. I learned about all the different things I was in. And uh, so at, at this age, it uh, puts me in a real good position. And somebody asked me, so, well, what did you think about those failures? I didn't fail at all. What, my, the way I handled them, I said, it's like baseball. You win some and you lose some and some get rained out. You know, today's <laughs> the first day of the rest of your life. Don't look back unless you want to go that way. You can't saw sawdust. It's already been sawed. Well said. Another question is, could you talk a little bit about some of the advice you have for aspiring leaders? This is the most important one because at this age in my life, I've, I have a lot of young people that I try to mentor or coach. And I tell them, you might as well uh, just forget it all if you don't have a, a servant's uh, heart, a servant's consciousness, a servant's awareness, a servant's attitude, and a servant's habit. I mean, that that has to be. And that's the only way you're going to actually be a good servant leader. And that means to be you'll be an expert communicator, an expert listener, an expert delegator, and you'll have a system to inspect what you expect. Uh, you'll be able to uh, and you do this by sharing your vision. And what I do, what I do is tell you this, Brian. If you work with me, at the end of one year, you're going to say I grew more as a person working with Paul Meyer than anybody I've ever worked with. Well, why, why, Brian? Because he gave me my head. He empowered me, and uh, he made me feel important. And he drew out the best in me. 
and uh, that little sleeping giant inside of me came out, and uh, I know I know now that I can even package myself, leave here, and make more money than I've ever made before. So I don't want to leave. I want to stick around and see what the Brian package is going to look like a year from now or two years from now. Hmm. And uh, now that's a real leader. Sure. And you never, never criticize. When somebody says, well, constructive criticism, that's baloney. Don't ever believe that. I, I, I never criticize any way, shape, form, or manner. It's always a, a, a praise. And what you're doing there, you're telling them uh, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to fall on your face. And then uh, then ask, what did you learn from it? Uh, okay, keep on going. Very sagely. I guess one of the follow-up questions that occurs to me when you're talking about that servant's heart and, and servant's attitude, in general, are we as Americans conditioned, do you think, to be servant leaders? or is No, 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 no. Go to all the business schools in America, and they got the pyramid the other way around. They got the big shot on the top, and then the guy underneath him, they got the hierarchy of order, and then the peons on the bottom do what they're told. And then everybody uh, has CYA, which means to cover their butt. And uh, so what you've done is uh, stifle the creativity, stifle the imagination, stifle the inventiveness, and, and choke, choked off the possibility of any kind of synergism in the company. Instead, instead of uh, four and four equaling eight, and now equals seven. And when you turn it around and have a servant's heart, four and four becomes nine. Hmm. Could you share your metaphor or story for leadership? There isn't any leadership, and that's their self-leadership. It's like you can't tell what you don't know anymore and you come back where you haven't been. I can't lead you if I can't lead me first. And when I interview somebody about leadership, I always ask them, well, how, tell me about your budget at home. Are you? Do you save money? Uh, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? And the reason is, if he, can't do, if he can't do it in his own home, in his own life, in his own family, he's sure not going to do a very good job for me and my company. So it has to be self-leadership. And uh, I've believed this and lived it my entire life. Uh, when I, I remember uh, when I first developed the first uh, personal development program, it's called the Dynamics of Personal Motivation. I took it to publishers, and they turned me down. So I published it myself. And now look what they missed out. I'm, at, I'm close to I'm at about two, $2.8 billion of business, or actually there's been more of my stuff sold than any author in the world in, in this field. And that's because I was a self-leader. I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting somebody else to lead me. I was going to pay whatever price I had to pay to get the job done. Now you may have, you may have done it in half the time, or you may have taken longer. But I, I had, I had to teach myself to be a leader first. And uh, when 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 people see me as a as a leader, they know I know I, they know I lead my own life. I have goals physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, financially, and family. I have short-range goals, long-range goals, tangible and intangible goals. Uh, I know where I am today, and I know where I'm going. And frankly, the whole world steps aside when they see a person that knows where he's going. In fact, better than that, they want to climb aboard and go with you. That's a leader. Sure. When you talk about leaders, could you elaborate a little on some of the traits that are most important in leaders? Well, uh, we, of course, we have to put in integrity and honesty and character at the top. They, they must have initiative because they're at the top. Uh, and then second, they have to be self-reliant because they're in charge. And that means they're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And self-confidence, 
and confidence comes from know-how. Know-how comes from experience, and experience comes from getting out there and doing something. And if they don't believe in themselves, they're sure not going to project that down to the people that work with them. And then we discussed servant leadership. The servant leadership means exactly what it is. I'm going to be your servant. Like I'm the chief, I'm the CEO of our company, and our company that means the chief example officer. Uh, Ken Blanchard that wrote The One-Minute Manager, he and I did a seven-hour seminar the other day for a company uh, uh, two days ago, and uh, he described himself as the chief spiritual officer in his company. So that's what real servant leadership is, that's thinking more highly of the other person than yourself. And if I want to get my boat across the creek, all i got to do is help Brian get his boat across the creek, and then I know you're going to help me get mine across. Sure. And uh, and you, you know that I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your family. And I'm thinking about your future. And that's how you build a business. And, of course, you must have a positive attitude. You know, I wake up every morning without giving mental recognition the possibility of defeat. You know, it's, it's, uh, my, my attitude is everything. I climbed the second tallest mountain in the continental United States to celebrate my 70th birthday and held a sign up there on top of the mountain that said, uh, attitude is everything. Um, that, that's what my life has been about, is attitude. You know, when you bring up that attitude is everything, I, I thought I read a story about how you also took a, a similar sign to us when scuba diving down. Yeah, we took it down to the bottom of the ocean. And basically, I was saying, it doesn't matter if you're on the top of the ocean or the bottom of the ocean, uh, you, uh, you, you better have, you have the right attitude. You're going you're gonna to survive no matter what. Sure. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about what organizations can do to encourage or stifle leaders? Yes, to encourage leaders, organizations, and this is a must. If you want to encourage them, then you have to empower them, and that means giving them room to make mistakes, encouraging people to show initiative and be self-reliant, encouraging them to step outside the box. If, if the company heretofore has used black and white, tell them to use four color. If they've been playing music with four notes, tell them to use eight notes. If they've never had a drum in the orchestra before, tell them to put in a drum. If they've never had a horn instrument, tell them to put that in. And people love that, and they love the freedom of that. That's where the synergism comes in. That's where the spark comes in. <clears throat> and that's where they, that, that totally blows away competitors. Of course, the opposite of that is if you want to stifle leaders, you, you know, all you got to do is continue with uh, the typical business rules of the past. Too many rules, too many guidelines, too many boxes, too much structure, too much reporting. And where does that go? Too little trust. Sure. And you take trust out, and then you then you got uh, rumors. Uh, uh, the, the whole thing goes down in the handbasket. Now, would you say more organizations fall in the category of encouraging or stifling? Stifling. <laughs> Do you see that changing at all? It's changing, yes. It's got to change rapidly if, if America is going to stay in the game. Could you talk a little bit about what good leadership looks like? We have the typical thing they use in business school, the, you know, the, the pyramid. Right. All, and all businesses, the top of the pyramid is the leader at the top. And then all the work and the ideas flow down from the board of directors, from, from the president, the vice president and his executive staff. and uh, But if you notice the compensation plan, I've noticed anything, everything uh, benefits the top. The guy at top, he can never get in trouble. He blames everybody for everything, doesn't 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 trust him, 
Well, basically, I guess what I'm saying, I flip the pyramid upside down. I see a good leader. He's at the bottom uh, with a servant's heart, a servant's attitude, and he's working hard to help all layers of the employee stratas above. And that is what a good leader looks like. Uh, good leaders positively have a servant's heart. Will you touch upon some important advice that you've been given? Yes, I guess the best advice I've been given is, I guess in my 20s I had uh, too much pride, too much ego, and thought it was all me and all mine. And uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Bill Henson, convinced me that actually if I have a good brain, where do I get it? I got it from a creator. If I if I have talent, where do I get it? And that it's all God's by right of creation. That's one thing. And the, the second thing is... Uh, that uh, that I learned, and uh, I live. My, uh, you know, somebody said, "What is your what What is your credo? What do you live your life by?" I said, "I never make excuses, and I never accept them." And boy, when people are around me, when they first start working with me in one of our companies, they learn that real quick. And when they start making excuses, I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 Brian, stop right there! Uh, I don't care what the gas price is. Uh, I don't care what's happening in Iraq." I don't care what's happened. Do not ever give me any excuses. This is the reason I've got you. Is I'm giving you your head. I'm giving you the freedom to think. Uh, you figure a way around it. Go under it, over it, or through it. But do not give any more excuses. Hmm. And then next, to serve others as you would like to be served. Uh, I guess what he called that, that would be the golden rule. Sure. Uh, and I try to treat everybody the way I'd like to be treated. And uh, I remember one time being interviewed when I was younger, and I and I led the largest one of the largest insurance companies in America, and they asked me to speak. And of course, I'd never made a speak before, made a speech before. And somebody said, "Well, how would you answer such and such objection?" And I said, "Well, I never heard that objection." Well, they didn't believe me. And I said, "What do you well then? What do you have going for you?" I said, "It's pretty simple." Uh, I have zero prejudice about anybody. Short, fat, thin, full, I could care less. And I actually love everybody on planet Earth. Uh, somebody's fixing to be uh, hung for murder or, or shot. I love them. Because I have to say, except for the except for the grace of God, there go I. I and, uh, and my mother told me, uh, uh, do not ever judge anybody. She said, Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to win a man to your cause first, Convince him you're his true friend. How do you do that? You love him and serve him. Hmm. So I was taught at an early age to love everybody. Well, if I call on you to sell you insurance or whatever I'm selling, you can see it in my eyes. You know I'm there to serve you. And and then you instantly trust me. And here's when you know you're a real professional. When you get two, two-thirds of the way or almost all the way through a presentation like I used to, and the guy stops you and says, well, what do you recommend? <laughs> and then, man... You know, then you then you know that you've arrived, I and mean, that's that's real leadership. And it's to me, it's uh, trust and loving everybody, and not judging anybody. Sure. Will you share your story about your stewardship journey and its importance in your life? Yes, I, yes, I will. I would I would like to share that very much. Uh, I saw it in action when I saw my mother. This is years ago, and I don't even know anybody here that would know the word hobo. But we used to have hobos come to our house. We didn't have much. My mother would give that out and, get, and basically give our food away. 
And then, of course, the last seven days of her life, she collected only seven cents, collecting money for the City of Hope, and then they basically found her dead in our kitchen. And it wasn't long after that, a pastor friend of mine, Dr. Bill Henson, uh, talked to me about uh, uh, tithing or giving my money. And then he takes me to hear R.G. Letourneau, and they have R.G. Letourneau over here in Lufkin, Texas. That's those great big road equipment where they have the wheels that are like 15 foot big, and they carry 100 tons of dirt all at one time. And I heard him speak one time, but he was about 50 years older than me, when he said, isn't it wonderful that we get to keep 10% of what we make? And I, I, I was totally shook up about that, but I was smitten by it. And then, uh, then I met a couple here in Waco, Texas, Paul and Katie Piper, and they had a charitable foundation, and it became a model for me. And so I have poured much of my energy, time, and money into building a foundation today that supports uh, 40 some of my charities and ministries. We've helped several thousand kids go to school. Uh, we've given away, I don't know, $65 million. We still have about $70 million in our foundation. And uh, I look for ways to help people, to love them unconditionally, uh, to forgive. I learned all of that from my parents and from these mentors that I've met along the way in my life. And, uh, and I would say positively to young people, they need, like uh, we do a lot of business in, in Asian countries. Most of the people in Asia have a man... 20 or 30 years older than them that they have as a mentor that they can get advice from. And uh, I've been always careful to make friends with people older than me and get their advice on things. So part of my whole growth in my education has been what I've learned from these mentors. And then I'm passing that on about stewardship to my children and grandchildren. Uh, it's my birthday. This uh, My birthday was yesterday. I'll have a birthday party with my family Saturday, and I'm going to be talking to them about the fact that I don't want my life to have made them the entitlement society. I want my life to account and to teach them to fish, not give them my fish, and to teach them to be servants, and teach them to have a servant's heart, and teach them to be stewards. And I set a goal uh, at least 20 years ago to give it all away and die broke, and that plan is in process, and that's going to take place in my life. Wow. Well, belated happy birthday as well. Yeah, thank you. I was uh, 80 years old yesterday. Oh, that's that is wonderful. And I and I maybe maybe an illusion in my own mind, but I don't think I talk like an 80 year old. I don't act like an 80 year old, and I don't look like an 80 year old. <laughs> <laughs> no, and since I, I, I since I believe in goal setting, I set a goal when I was 70 to get to be 80. Now I set a goal yesterday to see if I could see if I could reach 90. But I want to do it with a with a iron trap mind, and I want to do it with my body functioning uh, just as good as it did when I was sixty. And so that's my goal. So, what's your secret uh, in addition to setting the goal? Well, the secret is I work out every day in the gym. I walk about three miles a day. Uh, I, I eat uh, only vegetables and uh, fruit. I do not eat any meat products and no dairy products. And uh, I start out with a Bible study with my wife every morning, and our first prayer every morning is give us somebody to minister to and help today. And then our our, our mission statement is do all the good we can in all the ways we can and all the places we can for all the people we can for as long as we can. Wow. In terms of the consumption, the healthy eating, how long have you been doing that for? I've been doing it for a, a, quite a long time. And I've been on a serious uh, uh, vitamin program. I think that's equal, equally as important. Uh, we have uh, five children and uh, 15 grandchildren. 
and I would guess uh, 90, 90% of them have somewhat the same program. Wow. And also, I might say uh, my five kids all uh, are highly successful at what they do, and I think that's important. I didn't just, a lot of times a person that's successful, their kids uh, do not make it or do not, you know, we don't have a black sheep in the whole bunch, got 15 grandkids, and they're all heading in the same direction. So what I've learned from my parents, I've uh, very carefully made sure with space repetition, I passed it on to my children, and very carefully with space repetition, they're passing it on to their children. And our whole family has one one goal in, in mind, to make a difference in this world, a real difference. Well, it certainly sounds like you've been successful in that department. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I read a couple other stories that I just thought were, were really interesting. I was wondering if maybe I could have you elaborate on one of them. One... I'm 80 years old. I may not remember them. Go ahead and give it a try. <laughs> All right. One of them was the story of you becoming a tennis player. One reason I did that, I was 47 years old. I never played tennis in my life. And I was talking, it was coincidentally over about a three-month period, I was running a whole bunch of people and said, well, it's too late for me. You know, I, well, I wish I had done that when I was younger. You know, I could do that now. And I got to thinking, well, that's Tommy Roth. That's nonsense. So I thought, well, I'll go do something I've never done before just to prove it could be done. So the first thing I did, I wrote down on that I'm going to learn to play tennis. And then I went and got a piece of wood and got a guy to burn into it. I'm a champion tennis player. I didn't even know what it's in the racket to hold. Uh, <laughs> and I put that up on the wall in front of my desk in my office. And then I thought, well, I, then I thought, well, who's the number one tennis player in the world? That was Rod Laver at the time. And I went and took lessons from him. And I thought, well, who's uh, uh, who's uh, won more tournaments? Anybody in, in the world? Or who was the best player my age? Went and took lessons from him. Russell Seymour in Austin, Texas, from South Africa. And I thought, who's the number one player in Texas? Robert Trogel. I went and took 200 lessons from him. And then I played in uh, 150 tournaments, ended up winning the Dallas Open, beating the fourth-ranked player in the United States, and then ended up playing in men's championship doubles at age 55 with Robert Trogel against the college, the, the top college teams here in Texas. So oh. what I did, I proved that at any age, you can have anything you want to have, be anything you want to be, go anywhere you want to go. The only limitations are what you place on your own mind. The space you occupy in life is determined by your mental attitude. Hmm. Oh, what a what a terrific example of that. You want one more story? Is that enough? Oh, I would. I absolutely would love one. I, I... I'll give you one more. Everybody, they're sending our whole battalion to Japan. Uh, this is, uh, you know, 60... 60-something years ago, and uh, I see the colonel's light on in his office, and I go there and knock on the door, opens it up. I'm a private. He sees my name and said, Meyer, what do you want? And I said, well, I understand we're all going to Japan. He said, yeah, you can read English. And uh, he was kind of rough with me. And uh, he said, I'm a soldier just like you. And I said, what would you have to do not to go? And he said, well, we're all gone. Forget it. I said, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> I said, well, you have to do not to go. And he said, well, something pretty damn spectacular. And I said, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. And he said, he said, you're not, you're really serious, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he said, well, we have the uh, kind of the military version of the decathlon, so to speak, or military fitness uh, records. And he said, uh, why don't you set a new record that's never been done before, and you can stay and be a physical instructor. And I told him, piece of cake. Anyway, I did it. 
uh, three weeks later. Wow! And and uh, ended up uh, ended up getting written up in the Army Times or all over the place. And uh, I stayed in uh, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, was a physical instructor. And the rest of them shipped out and went to Japan. So yeah, and I always tell people, "Oh, you have not, because you ask not, and you don't you don't know what you can get till you ask." Sure. <laughs> Oh, and that's another fabulous, you know, just a terrific story. So it's all that—it's all attitude, isn't it? Sure, absolutely. Well, I tell you, Mister Meyer, I don't want to take any more of your time, but it's been a real pleasure visiting with you tonight. It's a real pleasure visiting with you. Thank you so much, Mister Meyer, and and kudos to you on on your wonderful leadership and the message and and all you've accomplished and are still yet to accomplish. Yeah, thank you, and uh, and good luck for you, too, also. Okay, thank you. That concludes the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Paul J. Meyer. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.